Frank, every time I come over to your apartment, I see this weird like electronic stick with wheels on it. What, what the heck is that? <laughs> an electronic stick with wheels on it i that's what i should have named it you're a you're a wonder with words that's balance bot james balance bot it has a name it reminds me of forky from the new toy story 4 movie trailer if you've seen that oh no forky so yeah type forky in, is a fork <laughs> type type in forky a toy Not story sure I know how to spell that forky f-o-r-k-y okay why not it, it's a sport wow. and it's and it's the <laughs> child's new favorite toy that is like running away. And that's what it kind sure? of reminds me of. It looks uh-huh. a little hideous. Kids like yeah. this or kids are afraid of this? I'm scared of it because whenever I come yeah. over to your house, I get scared by this mon- monstrosity of cables and cords. Like, what is this yes. thing? Balance bot. Okay, well, it's just a robot, just a robot, James. It's just a robot um, that I work on from time to time because we all need a break from our day jobs. It's my hobby. I like to um, do electrical engineering as my hobby. But the truth is, um, it's also just practice and it's fun. It's a, it's a game. And I like to see if I can build something big. And I'm not interested in little robots running around on the floor that you can step on. I'm interested in big things, human sized. And so I'm always trying to make big stuff <laughs> that can destroy your house. <laughs> yeah, because so you're not interested in the look at this little tiny robot that you know, can drive, like maybe you can drive around, mm-hmm. a little monkey can sit on top, or maybe you can suction up stuff, you know, from the floor that doesn't interest you at all? No, well, my floor is too messy for those little suction bots to work. <laughs> no, but if you can imagine what my goal here is, um, imagine like a Segway, but without someone on it. So it's just got two wheels at the bottom and a big stick and a little head. And I guess like if I'm ever trying to give it a justification for existence you know um what's that great rick and morty part where like he creates a little robot and it passes the butter and he says what's my purpose in life and he says your purpose is to pass the butter well (laughs) (laughs) what is what is its purpose then in life it has no purpose the purpose is for me to learn how to build a robot but james but but i've made up purposes it could be a camera bot it could follow you around and help you record your podcasts and your video casts. Not so much your podcasts, your video casts, and your web blog and your vlog and all the things that I know you want to do. I know that you want to be walking around your apartment while you record your Twitch streams. I know it. It definitely seems like an ideal use case. Now, that being said, I don't quite understand how you plan to do that with this super long, like, okay, people, I want to pick you a picture, individuals. Imagine a three foot tall stick. It's like a a tube, okay? It's a wooden dowel, people. Dowel, thank you. That's the word. It's a dowel. It's a dowel robot. Now, on the bottom are the two smallest wheels you've ever seen in your entire life. They're like, they're tiny. We can get into the problems of sourcing your parts from Amazon. <laughs> and then, yes, on top, there is a huge, it's, it's it's the size of my head, essentially, a huge, like, I don't know, it's a battery and electronics and cords coming off of it, and it has a smiley face on it, and it's supposed to balance, Frank? How is that? How is that supposed to balance and move? I don't understand, because there's only two wheels 
on it. And I don't yeah. understand. I have a bicycle, but the two wheels go the other way, which makes <laughs> yeah. sense. These ones don't make any sense. I'm com- com- confused. There's a technical term for that, and I can't remember it when the wheels are in front of you and behind each other. Anyway, well, James, you know that my favorite transportation device is the one wheel. It's yes. literally got one wheel. So you could say, how does that balance? And it's the same answer, the magic of control algorithms. So these are digital controllers that are making micro adjustments to the motor, to the torque, to keep itself upright in the exact same way that a unicyclist can stay upright on a unicycle after they've practiced for months, I'm sure, (laughs) because it's not easy. Um, With just the right amount of torque, you only need one wheel. So I put on two just to have... Um, lateral horizontal stability. I didn't want to mm. work in uh, two dimensions. I just wanted a one-dimensional robot that could go forwards and backwards, steering later. <laughs> so then, but something it's, it's is possible. Gonna, yeah, <clears throat> something like when I'm on when you're on a unicycle, your body and torque of of the we like the cranks are the mm-hmm. ones that are balancing or have control. And then when you're on a one wheel, I've tried to get on your one wheel. I've basically died, and. <laughs> That you're balancing, it's like a skateboard too. That that is four wheels, but you still need to balance and go left and right to do the turn. So I imagine on a bicycle, I'm doing the same thing, correct? I am yeah. exerting certain force to either go forward or go back and to stay upright in general. Like I have to keep a certain amount of, if I stop moving, then I will fall over mm-hmm, Like mm-hmm. in general. And there- There's actually a really cool term for this. This is actually a general problem in controls. It's very well studied, and it's called the inverted pendulum problem. So if you imagine what a pendulum is, you have um, a ball hanging off of a rope, and it swings back and forth. Fine. Okay. Now imagine you make that rope um, strong, rigid, like a wooden dowel. And now you put the ball above your hand and you try to balance the ball uh, using just the bottom of the wooden dowel. It's a much more fun game. Did you ever balance a pole on your hand as a kid? Oh, always. Yeah, you you would take it and you see how long it would stay up right for. And mm-hmm. you would move around and try to jiggle all over the place. And then it would fall. And then you'd be like, oh, do it all over again. And that's a fun afternoon. Yeah. It is. It really is. I loved doing that as a kid. And you would find bigger and bigger poles. Like, what can I balance? <laughs> you know, up to the point of you can barely lift it. Uh, and it's actually the same problem that rockets have when they're trying to leave the Earth. You can imagine that a rocket is a big, heavy thing. And then below it is this thruster that can kind of wiggle its bottom around a little bit. And it's solving the inverted pendulum problem. There's a mass, but then the thing that you control is below that mass in a gravitational well. With gravity. <laughs> we're doing this on Earth, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we're. And it's, so it's the same problem sort of over and over and over again then. Yeah. And that's why it has this wonderful name, the inverted pendulum problem, because it applies to so many different things. Now, here's the real trip. Ready for this one? I'm ready. This is a fundamental step to making a walking robot. Because it turns out the way we walk, it's more like you put your foot down on the ground and then you pivot over it. You put your next foot down, you pivot over it. It's a constant switching of falling. Walking and running is actually falling. You do a thrust and a fall, thrust and a fall. Guess what, James? That's the inverted pendulum problem. (laughs) So we are practicing that on a daily basis. 
humans are awesome at the inverted pendulum problem. That's why we find robots so ridiculous when they fall over, because we're like, derp, can't you stand <laughs> up? Can't you solve the inverted pendulum problem? But the problem <laughs> I have, the problem I have, Frank, is that when we take a robot and make it solve that problem, what is it, the Boston Dynamics or whatever, and they mm-hmm. do it, it's the freakiest thing in the entire world. And they're like, what is going on? I don't understand right now. My mind is yeah, blown. Because all of a sudden it looks natural because that's oh. how humans move. That's how animals move. We don't take a Is that the uncanny step. valley thing? Is that what's kicking into no, our brains? No, no, this crosses no. it. No, no, this, the, oh. you're out of the valley at this point. You're on the other side. This is the fear part. This is like, please God, no one put a gun on that machine <laughs> because then we're all the, the human Terminator is gone. Yeah. Robocop, <laughs> classic 80s movies, basically at this point. I really love the direction this episode has gone. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes. Yes, yes. So I'm very interested in the inverted pendulum problem because it applies to all of these things. And so I eventually want to make walking robots too. And so I have to get really good at inverted pendulum, you know, baby steps. Step before you can run, I guess. Got it. Step <laughs> but before the other, you can run. I'm sorry. I just I'm I'm having fun nerding out and I have to continue to. This is a fun um, difference when we talk about how we're running here, where it's a constant motion of jumping and falling, jumping and falling. Um, it's a thing called dynamic stability instead of static stability. Mm. So a lot of times when you see robots move these days, they're achieving static stability. They're um, they're stable and then they move a foot and get stable again. They move a foot and get stable again, move a foot and get stable again. And that's one way to make something move. But a much more fun way is that you keep it kind of always in motion. You have dynamic stability. It's never stable at one point. If you hit it, it would probably fall over or something like that if it doesn't have feedback. But the idea is instead of always being stable, we just we keep motion moving and we'd be dynamically stable. Mm, Yeah, so. Often I'll watch these videos because you you always see as soon as a robot like Boston Dynamics is doing something, those the the internet explodes with oh my goodness, and yeah, I remember seeing the first ones. They sort of like sort of moved one foot, stopped, moved one foot, stopped, and then you started to see the bigger robots that were in constant motion. And I have to imagine that that is an amplitude more complex problem to solve because our brains are doing that constantly nonstop and to attempt to do that while balance probably hundreds of thousands of pounds of equipment and sensors and motors. Like it's weird that your brain just knows how to do it. And then you just do it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about it, but we have to teach well, these robots <clears throat> how to do it. More importantly, you do learn to walk. So your body is set up to walk. Our physiology is set up to walk. Like there are triggers in your spinal cord that are going to make your legs twitch. But you don't have a sense of balance when you're first born, or at least the most important thing is your muscles just aren't strong enough. (laughs) You're just a little chubby little baby (laughs) and your legs can't really hold you up. And uh, when you talk about advancements in robotics, it always comes down to that. What is our power source and how powerful are our motors? So a device like the one wheel wasn't possible until one, we developed these new kinds of motors called synchronous DC motors. They're fancy. They're awesome. They use permanent magnets. And also that our battery technology got strong enough. 
And so it's always a, an issue of power, too. We have control algorithms. We've known how to do digital controls for a very long time now. And in the case of Boston Dynamics, they have very, very, very complicated digital controls. Mm. But um, we know how to do it. We've known how to do it since at least the 80s. So what we've really lacked is powerful actuators and motors. In fact, the very first Boston Dynamics robots were um, pneumatic-based. They used compressed air as all the muscles and everything because electric motors weren't strong enough at the time. Oh, yeah, because just the amount of... And I think of the actuators. I remember like when you walk into Ikea and they're stress-testing the... They're stress testing oh, like their couches or a crazy. bed and they would have the actuators like because they're applying all the torque down because they have a lot of strength. Is that the same type of actuator that they were using? Uh, it, it, I, I think even si simpler, uh, just a piston, you know, like you would see on a crane, like, a, um, oh. you know, where you have a cylinder and a cylinder inside of it and one pushes the other out. Yep. Uh, yep. So, I mean, the neat thing about that is very analogous to how a human muscle or an animal muscle works. You have a piston attached to two bones, but it's not as flexible and there's other issues with it, but it works out well. It turns out, you know, you can copy human or animal biology quite well. In fact, um, Boston Dynamics has been quite an inspiration for me. They don't talk a lot about how their technology works. But the cool thing was they started out at MIT, and back when they were at MIT, they did used to publish how mm. things worked. They used to work in something called the Leg Lab. And in 1983, they published a book on how um, their legs worked. And you would think in 83 that they would be very primitive, but no, in 83, this is basically you can see the path that they were at at 83 to what they would eventually become today's Boston Dynamics and the Atlas robot and all that. Here's the problem, James. The stupid book is $1,000 on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> no one's got a copy of it. My library didn't have a copy of it. I actually had to drive up to Vancouver and went to the uh, library at the University of British Columbia, had to go to like the special book section. And, you know, people had to check it out. I wasn't allowed to leave the room with it. But I sat my butt down and I read the entire book on how their stuff worked. And it inspired me to get into all this. Do you have a favorite Boston Dynamics robot? Not really. I, I think if I had a favorite, it would be their very first original one. And Rex. here, nope, nope. Uh, back when they were at MIT, it had, James, one leg. So it was a little bouncing robot. But it was, I saw this robot when I was a kid on TV, and I just thought, what a ridiculous thing. How stupid. <laughs> but once I read this book and what that robot represented and how it worked, that was the first robot that achieved this um, idea of an in-air pendulum with dynamic stability, that running is actually a more natural movement than slowly walking, things like that. This was a very inspirational robot. You can go on YouTube, look up the MIT leg lab bouncy single leg robot, <laughs> and you'll see it. It's terrible, but I think that's still my favorite because it it was like, here we solve the problem. The rest is up to your imagination. Got it. And we're all still trying to catch up with them. Their website is super duper fun. I mean, they go back to the Rex at least, which is probably like 2010, I want to say. But it was definitely super, I mean, just super cool to see all of 
like the, the information, right? Like the original Rex R H E X, which was a six leg robot with high mobility, is <laughs> you know, 14 it looks scary. It, it looks, yeah, 14 centimeters in height, 12 kilograms in weight. I mean, they have its battery powered, its actuation, like six joints. It has like a, a tele teleoperation camera for perception. Like, kind of cool that they talk about it and give you some videos and information on it, very open. But, you know, they have lots of money, Frank. How do I build a Rex robot? Like, how do I build a balance bot? Yeah, how, exactly. how do I do this? And they love to show you those pictures, but they never, ever talk about their software, like how it actually works. So yeah, there's, there's two issues to building a robot, James. Let's say you want to do it. First, you have the hardware problem. <laughs> you need a robot. And then you have a software problem. You need to write some code that makes the robot do interesting things. Uh, boy, it, it's hard on both ends. I decided that I, I got to start from scratch. I got to pretend that I'm in the MIT leg lab and learn all my lessons the hard way. The only way I ever learn lessons, you know, start building. But I guess if you had a lot of money, you could always go buy a robot. They're out there. They're expensive. <laughs> I did <laughs> buy, a, I bought a, I bought a little robot that can go around and, um, you know, sweep up my floor yeah. so that that is a robot it's a hundred dollars <laughs> that's not bad uh okay but you can't reprogram that one right no it just sweeps no. floors <laughs> yeah. it just sweeps okay. floors it's like done boring not gonna carry a camera around not gonna go fetch you a beer from the refrigerator <laughs> so um where did i start well um honestly you just you start with the worst sketch of the in the world of a robot on a piece of paper i learned that i draw like a two-year-old and I put a little smiley face on it, two big wheels. And I said, well, that's all the design I need. <laughs> <laughs> um, fortunately, I've, I have a 3D printer. So I 3D printed the chassis of the robot, uh, the different parts that needed to hold like the motors and the parts that need to hold the electronics. Very slowly, I have developed a skill using um, Tinkercad online. It's and um, I get these companies confused. Autodesk or Adobe? One of them. Tinkercad. Those are, com those are companies. Those are <laughs> yes, companies. Yes, they are. And they both do graphics. So it's really hard to keep them straight. Um, either way, Tinkercad. Google it. Um, it's kind of the best 3D software I've seen within a reasonable budget. That reasonable budget being $0. <laughs> so I kind of yeah. love it. <laughs> I like free. Free is good. Free is good. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it's a web UI, but you can deal with it. It's not too flaky. And the truth is, um, I do the iterative design approach. I did a version one of BalanceBot, and it was just mistake after mistake after mistake. For example, I printed this very flat piece of plastic and just bolted the motors onto it. Well, that plastic bent. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so then I tried with a, a wooden stick that was like... Um, meter and a half tall, two meters tall, far too tall. And the stick kept bending and eventually broke the chassis. <laughs> so basically, I just keep building and learning my lessons and breaking things. Uh, I think you just have to accept that you're going to break things and work that into your budget. Don't buy expensive things. Always buy things in, you know, quantities of 10, not two. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard. 
But there is a little bit of design. And unfortunately, I do all my design on Amazon because eventually you have to buy motors. It's that problem I was talking about earlier about sourcing actual good components. And it's hard. You, No one writes their spec sheets the same way. They all give the properties and different units, you know, different physical units. So you have to do a bunch of conversions. You buy them. You realize that you can't use them at all because of this reason or that reason. It's a real mess. <laughs> you have to have a little bit of a budget for it. But the good news is most of this stuff is rather cheap, so you can play around a bit. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Yeah, so you, it's, it's that you can pick up some parts and ideally, like you said, buy in bulk because you're probably going to mess up. Is that that's kind of yeah. what I'm hearing? Constantly. I, I have broken some. I've broken whole Raspberry Pis. I've broken my wall. <laughs> I've broken motors. I've broken wheels. You are making fun of my wheels, James. Let, let me explain my wheel situation okay. here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because they're, I mean, they're cute. I like them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The problem with buying all your parts on Amazon is that the hobbyist robotics community is more into small and cute and less into industrial wall breaking. Mm. And I am in the other camp, you know? I want some industrial stuff. Problem is industrial stuff's very expensive. So I bought these wheels, and yes, they are tiny, <laughs> because they at least had a metal axle and a metal wheel hub. I have learned over time that plastic does not work, especially when you take it outside, especially when you take it around. You know, I want a robot that can go through the forest, not that it's going to be mm. stuck on perfectly level ground all the time. And so metal, you got to buy metal and Amazon is sorely lacking in cheap metal parts. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Everything's going to be plastic or yeah, metal's also heavy to ship. So that's also a problem. Yeah. I would assume. It's very, it's very annoying. That I, I'm actually trained as a machinist. I know how to operate a mill and I would love to have a giant machine that I could grind out all my parts out of like solid steel or at least aluminum or something like that. But I'm not at that stage. I told myself I have to get good at plastic and then I'll be allowed to have a awesome mill. <laughs> so what type of you, those are the parts, but then what yeah. powers it? Like, how, okay, so you need a pro You said There's two problems like hardware and then I assume some sort of like hardware software combination, correct? No. Yep. Now we're into the software part. This is, this is fun. Um, you have to choose a microcontroller, James. What microcontrollers do you know? Name them all. There's the Raspberry Pis. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that, so that, is that a microcontroller? Yep. Would you consider? For, okay, for this argument, yes. Let's go with it. Some pedants might yell, but yes. <laughs> There's like a Netduino, an Arduino, mm -hmm. a Raspberry it. Pi. I think Raspberry yep. Pi is pretty popular. A pie of Raspberry. Yep. You got it. That's about <laughs> all I know. There's also another nice chip out there called the ESP8266 or the ESP32. And these are all good things for robotics. But James, am I going to be satisfied with just making a robot? No. I need to make it a neural network robot. Oh, gosh. Here we go. Machine learning. AI. Yes. It, it would not be a merged conflict without a little machine learning. Yes, yes, yes. This is the exciting part for me. Because technically, I went to school and I learned how to control these things. I have a degree in digital control theory. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I should be able to take something as basic as an Arduino and make this thing balance. But 
I'm more interested these days in getting AIs to learn controls. And so not only do I want this to be a balance bot, but I want it to be a self-learning balance bot. Neat, huh? So as this robot moves around, it will apparently... My thought here is that it will do some things correct and some things wrong. And if it has sensors in which it is moving too far in one way or the other way, it would learn that and then be able to restabilize itself until it's in a perfect harmonious never fall <laughs> percentile. Like, how does that work? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. you pretty oh. much nailed it. Man, I'm Except great. when you said um, moves around and sometimes does something wrong. I would like to rephrase that into it's constantly falling over and never does anything right. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, cup half full, cup half empty perspective right. here. Gotcha. But I've done a lot of catching of this robot falling over, so I do not want to give it any credit at all for anything. <laughs> Got it. Okay. 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 So this technique is called reinforcement learning, and it's hmm. all the rage in, I don't know, my world. <laughs> I don't know what world that is. The world, the, the world of Frank. The world of Frank. Yes. <laughs> and what it is, it's actually just, um, it's an architecture, James. Here we are, architectures. It's how to consider building a robot. And it's very simple. You have your robot itself. Uh, the robot is allowed to take a set of actions on the world. In my case, it's move the motors, uh, motors forward, move the motors backwards. And then they're allowed to um, experience the world, like you said, through the sensors. And in my case, I have basically the same sensors we've had on iPhones forever, that accelerometer and gyro. Mm -hmm. And they tell me mostly how the robot is moving, but not well. We can talk about that later. And then here's the trick, though. So I mentioned those things. There's a robot that acts on the world. There's a world that you can sense. And then the third thing is you get a reward. So you have to reward the robot for when it's doing a good job. Isn't and that this, is the crux. Isn't this the, what's the one with the dog where you can, tr like they train it based on like treats or whatever. Like the, it's the same, right? If you have a, you have a dog and it does something mm -hmm. good and that's, you give it a reward when it, when it does it. But do you want to give Pavlovian it a reward in response? Pavlonia. Yeah. Yep. And then, but do you, and then. When it, yeah, but then would, did you say you <laughs> want to give them the rewards all the time or not all the time? Oh, these are really big open questions in this field, in this field of reinforcement learning. And the neat thing is, this is a broadly applicable thing. It's not just robots, but other things. Uh -huh. Like you said, dogs can obey it. So, what you're talking about is continuous rewards versus sparse rewards. Or, to rephrase it even differently, uh, continuous rewards versus maybe even sparse punishments. Mm. So when my robot is active, maybe I'm not ever giving it a reward. But if it falls over, I give it a little negative reward, a little punishment. It's a little bad to think of it that way, I mm. guess. Don't anthropomorphize. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, to show you how general these things are, reinforcement learning is used to beat video games right now. So StarCraft in particular, um, and Dota, I don't know what Dota is. Do you know what Dota is? Dota, that, yes, it is a, um, not an MMF, oh, geez, what is? It's one of those, like, 
action-packed kind of starcrafty isn't it it's no. a moba it's a multiplayer online battle arena moba battle Dota. arena yes it's by um <laughs> it, it was based on uh world of uh, or sorry warcraft 3 and this is like a it's a community created mod on top of it now i'm not a dota player mm-hmm. i was never really a warcraft 3 player i have modded it back in my day but um i'm more of a fortnite type player so well, here's what's really cool. This reinforcement learning concept has been applied to video games. Mm. And without cheating, it's just allowed to look at the screen and it's given the reward. And guess what the reward is in a video game? It's your score. So just given your score and the screen, so the screen is the sensor, the re- reward is your score, and you just let this thing learn. And right now it beats all top players. If you look into Google's is it deep mind? I don't know. All their yeah. all their projects are deep something. You can find it. <laughs> Reinforcement learning Google. And they are just crushing it. They're beating any game they care to beat pretty much at this point um, with this simple algorithm, this act on the world, sense the world, get a reward, and iterate. Reinforcement learning. Yeah, they have been doing this with chess and Go and a bunch of classic tabletop games uh which is always mind-blowing when that happens yeah that's those aren't necessarily reinforcement learning but the video game ones the video game if ones. you yeah if you zoom into those it's mostly starcraft and dota but it, they they beat every atari game and they're like well that was dumb so now they're like moving on to uh contemporary modern games and trying to win those it's all so pretty, how, pretty fantastic well so how do you then teach this balance bot the this reinforcement learning because you can't really give Mm -hmm. it a treat i mean what is the treat for the robot like what's the reward this james is probably the hardest part of all of this um i've really gone back yeah i know like (laughs) i the reward is hard so i can tell you rewards i've tried and the problems with them Mm. ready for this i'm ready okay so let's say I tell it, I want you to stand upright for, you know, that's my definition of balance. Stand upright and don't budge, you know, be upright. <laughs> that's And as much as you're upright, that's how much I'm going to reward you. So if you're perfectly upright, I'll give you a treat. If you're 50% upright, I'll give you 50% of a treat. <laughs> okay, got <laughs> Basically it. Basically that. Yeah. So that made a robot that could kind of stand up, but... Here's the issue. The moment it starts driving forward, okay, imagine this weird tall robot on two wheels driving forward in your head, okay? Okay. And now it wants to change directions. Well, the way to stably do that is you actually throw your body over a little bit. Think about how you would do it. If you were running forward and then you needed to go in the exact opposite direction, you need to do a crazy pivot on your own legs. You need to throw your weight over in a way that's not going to break your knees or your uh, Mm. ankles or anything like that. So the robot actually needs to be able to get into these very strong angles from time to time. Uh, Imagine if someone punches the robot, very meanly punches my robot robot it needs to be able to recover from that yes but if the reward is always just always try to stand up straight then it's never going to practice these dynamic maneuvers and it becomes a very rigid and fragile robot so it stands up but it's fragile and it never learns how to control the dynamic environment very well 
Yeah, the moment that something happens out of its element, it's some it's sort of if you have it's like if I always stay if you if, it's it's that experience where for instance, I see it all the time in Arizona when I live there. No no shade on Arizona because it's sunny all the time. But <laughs> the first time I was in Arizona, uh, I was driving around and, you know, it's it's super sunny, like 300 some odd days a year. And people are really good drivers there. They are great at merging. They drive super duper fast mm. and just really <laughs> like it's a great grid system. But then the moment then an outside element like liquid falls from the sky. Oh, everything goes to hell. It is just a, it is, it is like what people are pulling off to the road. Like people forget everything. And that's sort of a real world sort of, we know that that thing exists and we know the impact of it, but we don't know how to cope with it. So like the pushing, if you have never been pushed over, you don't know how to react to the pushover. That's So those are like my, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I'm, bridging our worlds together with the robot world. Yeah, absolutely. And you can even think of that as you just haven't experienced falling over very much. So of course you can't deal with it. You've dealt, your majority of your life experience has been standing perfectly upright. (laughs) So it's just, it's just, you don't have the experience and this is all about experience and learning. It's important. Okay. So that reward wasn't great. It kind of worked, but it wasn't great. Can you just, well, I'm not going to quiz you. Ready for my next one? (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. So I'm like, let's look to the animals, James. How do animals balance? And the way we pretty much do 99% of our activities, even our physical activities in this world, are we're trying to minimize energy use, Mm. um, conserve energy. Everything, the way we stick out our leg, you know, anything is usually just because we're trying to reduce the amount of energy we have to do. We're lazy. We are the lazy, but all animals are. And it's a guiding principle of a lot of things. So I decided, you know what? Let's forget this balance thing. I'm just going to tell you, minimize the amount that you use the motors. Crazy, huh? Minimize Um, the amount in which you use the motors the motors and that's not quite enough so then if you fall over um i punish you (laughs) (laughs) no no simple way of saying it (laughs) but um yeah so anytime you use the motor you get a light punishment and anytime you fall over you get a big punishment Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so it's not so much a reward anymore it's a negative reward but you can think of it as a reward if you invert all those sentences interesting this works pretty well i hate to say it um it's a good lesson to learn to just minimize the motors um because a lot of times if i was to do this with a more classical controller like a pid controller you get a lot of jitter like the motors are going back and forth back and forth back and forth trying to hold that upright position Mm. but if i tell it to minimize the energy then it's like ooh, i don't really want to move unless i absolutely have to And that's where the problem comes in. It does get a little bit lazy and a little bit laggy, but it's still nice because it dampens down the system a little bit. I like that. And, and that is a, it's, it's almost part of its body. It's, it's part of its body to some extent. And the reward versus not like me, it's almost like, do I want to stand or do I want to sit? 
and or lean or lean or even when i'm standing am i leaning on something or am i shifting body weight back or forth or you're just on one leg Mm -hmm. we lean on one leg because it's actually a little we're really good at the inverted pendulum problem you can just balance on one leg it's fine we don't need both (laughs) Hmm. interesting Hmm. But this one had its own problems, and they're, they're a little hard to get into. But basically, again, it wasn't acting like a good dynamic robot. So the truth is you blend all these together, and you give them different weights. And then there's just one more that I want to throw out you because you nailed it when you first talked about this. You do give it a reward, and you give it a reward for experiencing new things. So every time it's like, ooh, I've never been in this state or I've never had that happen to me. No one's ever hit me with a hockey stick before. Uh You actually reward it. And this makes a more curious robot and one that actually learns quicker because it's just trying to seek out new experiences. Cool, huh? That is nifty. I I wish that we had more of that in the real world. I'm just trying to apply how we can apply your your balance bot (laughs) lessons learned and takeaways to my real world like maybe every time i do something new i reward myself in some way yeah no uh, you really cool. should yeah uh there's a fun um <laughs> there's a corollary that goes with this it, it was an experience they had with the researchers who did uh this initial breakthrough that curiosity is actually really important to learning for these robots they've created a maze And they did this with video. So this is a camera-controlled robot. My robot doesn't have a camera. It will someday, but it doesn't right now. I don't have enough computing power. But they put, um, and this is all virtual, but they put the robot in a maze and said, you know, figure out the maze. Figure out how to get around. Figure things out. does a glorious job because it's curious. It's looking around every corner, doing this and that. And it develops a very fluid way of moving. It's a great robot. Except... (laughs) They put a TV on one of the walls that just showed a new picture every frame. And that, by definition, was how they were, that was their definition of curiosity. Experience something different every chance you can. And so the stupid robot would sit there and watch TV instead of following (laughs) the maze because the TV was more interesting than the world around it. If you want your real world corollary, James, there it is. We thrive on curiosity and new experiences and we glue ourselves to tvs for that (laughs) so and that is what robots have taught us so really when people are scared about the robot takeover all you got to do is turn on a television and boom problem solved robot not not even going to move just well i I thought you were going to talk about the human the human would be pacified so you don't have to worry here's some new experiences (laughs) well i mean some would argue that I do watch too much television already and it could be like, it's the Netflix syndrome that there's so much choice and so many options that everything is new all the time that you can't not do. And then also (laughs) it's the net, like the autoplay is like the worst thing ever because what autoplay does is it gives you, I I would, I would consider this reward system, what we would contribute to like a dopamine hit. Yeah, right. Sure. 100% direct corollary. (laughs) Yep. And, and you get that dopamine hit often when you experience this new thing, Ooh, this is really cool. Or you you get excited about something. And that's what Netflix tricks us to do. It's the same thing in video games, especially mobile games where they're always popping up banners and rewarding you with little bits or coins all the time. You get that dopamine hit. you're being rewarded, even if it's, if it's ancillary and the Netflix autoplay is the same exact thing, which is 
oh, it's going to start in 10 seconds. And like they show you a quick preview of the next thing. Like you're mm-hmm. getting a preview in between the thing. There's a dopamine hit because you just successfully finish something. Then you get a quick mm-hmm. preview of something and then you actually get to see the next thing. And there's a countdown. So there's anticipation. Like they've gamified and dopaminified the entire process of watching television in that way. This is turning into my favorite episode. By the way, did you see there's a new Dark Mirror out? <laughs> Speaking oh, of new experiences. <laughs> I can oh, I, I did the, did you do the Bandersnatch Dark uh, Mirror I one? I did. I did. I did. How did you um, feel about it? Well, I watched it with my mom, so it was a little awkward. So I think it was okay. The choose your own adventure part, I wasn't too down with because it really felt like I was locked into a very narrow path. And every time I tried to diverge, they would just reset my game. So I, I ended up like dying multiple times. Yep. And so I was like, this is getting a little boring. And so finally, I was just like picking the option that I knew they wanted me to pick so I could get through it and get the whole story. I, it was all right. I, I, I B plus for effort. <laughs> yeah, cool idea. I, I wanted to experience the story. And I wish that there was a way to just go through it and say, all right, give me the story as you want, even though it's not what they want. And that's not the concept. But Towards the end, I started to give it the answers that I thought that it wanted, and then it wasn't. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you were thrown off. I was. I think I might have been down some rabbit hole, and then I looked it up, and there was hundreds of poss like not hundreds, maybe like a hundred different possibility, like things to go through. So whatever you saw might have been completely different from me. Uh, and then there's some really tough decisions too, and it's very is if you haven't played it. I mean, I'm a huge Black Mirror fan heather cannot watch it she hates it she she enjoyed the first few and then there was some well not the first i didn't like the very first the first episode was the worst (laughs) yeah then there was some we didn't watch that one i made sure to skip that one when i introduced it to her but then there was some ones and there was it just got really strange because it was new i I needed to sort of watch them first before i introduced them to her and she was like i don't like this show anymore so i can't do it so it's Mm -hmm. too much but i love it i think it's it's very interesting. Yeah. I can't wait for the new episodes. Yeah. The last couple of seasons were good. So yeah. look at that. See, we got distracted by TV. See oh. how powerful it is. <laughs> Every time. All right. So All right. does this I thing have... work? I want to know like the end no, result. No, we're not going there oh. yet, James. We're not going there yet. Oh. Okay. We can go there. I know we're going late, but I just want to talk about training real quick. Yeah. Hit me. Because I did give myself a hard problem here. With this reinforcement learning, it, it doesn't do the experience once or twice and learns from it. It needs to do it 10,000 times oh my before it learns. Yeah. These algorithms are good, but they're not that good. And um, lessons... All- I've learned over this is different neural networks have different learning rates, all sorts of things like that. Mm. But I should mention my biggest pet peeve is I don't want this thing falling over 10,000 times. It's tiring. It's literally exhausting to have to keep picking it up. And so I tried to do training on the computer via simulation. So I wrote a simulator for the robot, a physical simulator, and tried to make it as accurate as possible. Hmm. And that was such a rabbit hole, but still kind of fun because then you can get like a virtual presentation of your robot. Oh, that's cool. Huh. Now, the problem, though, is that all simulations are lies. They're all terrible. So I would do all this training on the simulation, get it all tuned up, be like, yep, that robot can balance. It can do these cool tactical maneuvers. It can throw (laughs) its body over when I ask it to. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Uh Uh-huh. 
And then I install it on the physical robot and I say, go little guy, have fun in your world. And it jitters, full throttles and slams itself into the wall. And I'm like, (laughs) good job exploring. (laughs) Exploration. (laughs) Yeah. So the truth is, and this led me down to a very long rabbit hole. I've read so many um, different techniques on how to write physical simulators. I've had to go back to my old college textbooks. I've tried a little bit of everything. And what I've just concluded is all simulations are terrible. And so I started doing something crazy. I'm like, well, you know what? Machine learning to the rescue. So I started training a neural network to simulate the robot Mm. based upon the past experiences of the robot. So now I have this very interesting scenario where I have a neural network training a neural network so that it can be installed on the robot. Hmm. Which I thought was ridiculous, but the more I looked into how people actually do this stuff, you do end up creating that kind of pipeline um, where you're, it's a constant feedback loop. You run, run the hardware, collect data, use that data to improve your simulation, use your simulation to pre-train a model, put that model back on the robot, let it improve on the robot, and can keep continuing this way. And I think that's been the biggest lesson I've learned through all this is uh, how to develop that pipeline of constantly improving. And that is truly the overall learning algorithm, like the high-level version of it. Mind-boggling. You lost me, basically, right. is what I heard. Right? What, see, like, what happened I'm is we sorry. started. I tried we, there. We, we started to talk about <laughs> Netflix and Black Mirror, and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" Like, I, you see, I was like, I was making all these great analogies, and then Frank went all Frank on me, and then boom. All right, okay. Let me let me end on a punchline then. Okay. No, it doesn't balance. Ah. <laughs> I've seen it almost balance, Frank, almost, and it actually kind, it of, kind of did. Of. Yeah, it's kind of. Okay, it it does a little bit balanced it can stay up like around five seconds it's kind of it's happy spot right now and the truth is this is all the fault of the motors the motors just aren't powerful enough so if it does start to lean in one direction you really need to like grip the ground and really accelerate into it and it just doesn't have enough power to do that so eat your cheerios in the morning i guess is what's the human analogy for make sure you have strong muscles sure (laughs) your push-ups sure Sure. Why? Yeah, do uh, an I'm, apple I'm, a day keeps the doctor away. But all right, all right should, we're should done. We bring it back to Netflix. Okay, no, we're it's done. Over. We're out of here. Well, I think that may do it for this week's podcast. You feel pretty good, Frank. You feel pretty good about the podcast. Thanks for letting me talk about this. I've wanted to talk about this robot on this podcast forever. I can't believe you finally let me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, last week I got to talk. It was a James talk show, and now this time it was a uh, Frank. Let me interview you. So I, I have fun because. I've always really wanted to get into robot building and understand about the different microcontrollers. And it's something that has boggled my mind for a while. So I, I appreciate sort of the breakdown of not only just what you kind of need in a background of building it, but what goes into building it. And then also trying to train it and make it smart. So instead of just having it remote control, it's a little bit more than that. So I appreciate that, Frank. Yeah, I I had remote control cars as a kid. Now I want cars that can kill me. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Just trying to help the robots in their uprising. (laughs) There you go. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Frank, thank you so much. Thanks to all of our listeners. You can, of course, find us everywhere on the internet. Go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button. There's, you know, places to follow us, to, you know, 
all the favorite podcast players. Hit subscribe, tell a friend, do all the things. I think it's going to do it for this week. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.